AnteUp is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But AnteUp is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. AnteUp, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's November 30th, 2018. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Hey, you're home from the, uh, I was going to say from the cold, but no, we're back in it again. No, I left different cold to come to the new cold here. The new cold, yeah. In fact, actually, yesterday there was a time in the afternoon when it was warmer in Zion National Park, where we just left, <laughs> where we were freezing, than it was in Safety Harbor right here in Florida. Yeah, man. It's cold. I cannot believe that. This cold is just, ugh. Every year we could go through this in the show. I'm wearing two hoodies right now. Yeah, well, I got one and a long sleeve shirt on, so two, I'm not two quite up hoodies. <laughs> not quite as bad as you are. But. Uh, it's cold 2.0 here in Florida. Uh, but no, uh, Lauren and I had a fantastic uh, mini little vacation. We went to Vegas for a couple of days, and then um, you know went uh, glamping in Zion National Park and hiking. I I didn't make it to the top of the big scary mountain. I I, I had such grand plans for it, and then uh, I got like close to the top before you get to the really hard part, mm-hmm. and I was like, ah, I'm gonna die. So <laughs> I'm back down. It's still kind of an accomplishment, but because um, I'm definitely scared of heights, and that's the problem. So Oh, come on. We went up the freaking mountain aside on the ski lift in Jamaica. You should be over that by now. Yeah, and you, you, re- you remember how calm I was that entire experience, right? <laughs> yeah, it didn't help any that I was rocking it back and forth trying to make you fall out of it. No, it did not. Get it did that not insurance at all. money. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's terrible because I like hiking, but I'm like, you know, there, it's, it's like this very narrow path, and it's like, I think it's a dozen switchbacks up and down the mountain. Yeah. And at the first point that I saw little tiny people at the top of the mountain, that's when I started to freak out. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to that point. I got to the point where I was a tiny person to somebody else, and then uh, at that point, I, I just couldn't go any farther because there's a tiny path and no, no railings, nothing to protect you, you know. Not like you're going to fall off, but. You know, fear is irrational, as my wife says. So yeah, yeah, you're irrational. But it, it's good that you're trying to at least, uh, uh, you know, you're you're going toward the the fear rather than exactly. You know, yes, <clears throat> you're going sideways into it rather. Than yeah, you're back. still cowering at the end, but you're going there. Uh, but that was not the scariest thing that happened to me this week. <laughs> this trip. Uh, we, we got in Thanksgiving morning. I uh, got downtown, and by a f- uh, just happenstance um our fantastic minnesota ambassador john somsky and his lovely wife Kristen were uh, already in vegas for thanksgiving so Laura and i made plans to have thanksgiving dinner with them at uh, oscar's steakhouse downtown which was much better than your turkey i promise you that okay um but uh, before that uh, john and i sat down at uh, golden nugget and played a little one too and uh i you know you, you I know our listeners will um, relate to this because you have some of those sessions that you're probably never going to forget, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if somehow Elon Musk turns us all into cyborgs and I live until I'm 100 and, 
telling my niece and nephew on my deathbed, I'm going to be telling them about this session <laughs> because I'm never going to forget it. And I have a feeling that John's not going to forget it either. So um, so we got over there, and uh, all the tables were full, so we just uh, we put our name on the list, right, and then uh, sat down at an empty table just to kind of hang out and um, check our messages and chat a little bit. And then eventually a dealer came over with a bunch of chips, and they were starting a new table. And I'm like, oh, that's great. So I was in the uh, three-seat. John was sitting in the two-seat. Um, right next to us was a gentleman in a wheelchair and he had just pulled up and I, I had a feeling I didn't talk to him, but I had a feeling he kind of wanted that three seat cause there's more space behind him. Right. Right. So being the nice guy, I get up, I move over to the one seat uh, <laughs> so I'm still next to John, and then the wheelchair guy takes off. I'm like, all right, whatever. See, it doesn't matter. Right. Right. Well, two hours later, that seat mattered a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, here I, I played, uh, I had four big hands. I had pocket Kings three times and pocket Queens once. And I lost $400. Oh, and that's, that's over a two hour period. You had those four hands less than two hours, less than two hours. Oh man. Let me guess. C3 was the one that took all your money. (laughs) John had pocket aces three times. And won more than four hundred dollars. Wow! And wow. flopped uh, flopped the uh, Broadway uh, once. Uh, I forget what other couple other big hands he had. All because he was he just magically took seat two, and I took seat three and gave it up to go to seat one. I don't know how my luck would have been in seat three. <laughs> I, that guy didn't, okay. didn't didn't do anything um, great either way. But uh, <clears throat> wow. <laughs> So it has nothing to do with how horrible you play these hands, right? It's just the seat. Well, okay, no. Uh, one, uh, the first, the first king's hand, I, I went back, particularly because the rest of them went way bad, right? Right. Uh, but the first one, um, I was out of position. I was pushing the action on the flop. Um, a flush got there on the turn, but I still bet out, right? And then it get called. And then the river, I slowed down at that point. Problem, a mistake, right? Showed weakness. Uh, the other guy made a pretty big bet. I thought about it for a long time because uh, it was a queen high board, and then eventually I, I folded and I didn't show. But then I told John that I had kings, and he was like, "Ooh, yeah. not saying that was a bad fold. I'm just saying I probably wouldn't have folded there." Yeah, um, and it's very likely <clears throat> the other guy probably could have had a queen, right, uh, ace queen or something like that. And I showed weakness and being out of position. I'm like, "That's all right. It's early in the session. I'll get it back. I didn't lose a lot on that. I just I, I lost the value of the big pot, right?" But mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, I was uh, was shoving on flops all the time. With uh, I, there was never an ace high flop with my other two kings, and I eventually got it in both times. And uh, one was uh, some guy beat me with a rivered straight wheel. He had like two wheel cards, and not the ace, by the way. Uh, <laughs> a guy who was just giving money away to everybody, including John, <laughs> all night. And then I gave it away to him, and then I. I with my queens, I flop a set of queens, and I'm gun-shy, so I bet out, and that same guy folds. Uh, so I probably should have slow-played that one. So I got no no value out of the, the pots that I won, and I lost a lot of the rest. And then at the end, I lost my last uh, part of my stack to John, which I felt better about, right, than giving it to a stranger, uh, where I uh, flopped uh, a pair of jacks, and uh, he had aces, of course. <laughs> he always has aces. But, so uh, I, so I, basically, I, it wasn't the seed, it was you. Percent. Right. I'm sorry? It wasn't the C. It was you, basically, then, is what you're telling us. Well, it was a combination, yes. Oh, okay. So, I mean, you could have actually lost more money in C3, for all we know. Uh, probably, yes. 
You know, it would John, be hard to imagine losing more in season John would have been on your right, and then he would have been betting out, and you would have been meekly calling, and then he would have showed you the goods, and then you would have lost even more to your friend. You know. <laughs> oh, I remember one of the other kings that uh, and, uh, John ended up losing a lot of money in this hand, too. But the, I had pocket kings, raise preflop, and then the board came uh, tray 9-9. Nine, nine. And I think the other king hand I had, I lost too. Uh, they were a pair on board, and I lost to uh, trips. But this one, both John and the other guy left on the hand had nine, had a nine in their hand. Um, oh, the other guy had him at ace nine. John had ten nine. So, so the, took, the one hand that you have kings, the case nine comes out when the two people in the hand have a nine. Yeah, uh, case nines. Uh, case nines. Yes, yeah. Yes. Unreal. Oh. So, so that that I don't think was a bad play. Uh, I don't think uh, the 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 folding to the in the very first one probably yeah. was weak, yeah. but. Who knows? If had I had I called there and been wrong, I may not have had a couple other stories later on that were a loss. So who knows? Jeez. But uh, that's why I don't play poker anymore. Certainly one too. <laughs> All right, so moving on. Uh, poker Stars is giving back to poker media professionals in a big way. One poker journalist will be chosen to receive a thirty thousand dollar platinum pass for the PSPC in the Bahamas this January. The catch, the journalists need to be nominated. Hint, hint, hint. So you want to nominate Scott, who just lost $400, or Chris, who grows trees, or Scott, who just lost $400, or Scott, who just lost $400. Here's what you need to do. Um, in 50 or fewer words, tell poker stars which poker media person needs a week off from their gig, a platinum pass, and a chance at millions. Uh, tell them why you think uh, they... Uh, should get the chance, you can nominate in the following ways. Email your nomination to competition at starsgroup.com or tweet your nomination using the hashtag MyPSPCNomination before December 12th. That's pretty cool. It's nice of them to do that. It's a little small way for our listeners to get back to us, right? <laughs> you don't have to nominate me. I'm not, I know I'm not going to win, and I'm not going anywhere, so <laughs> don't get my hopes up. You can nominate Scott in his, you know, minus 400 dollars <clears throat> say please please nominate scott long so he stop whining on the show for all the losses he has how's that make up for all your losses buddy let them nominate you don't nominate me please <laughs> no but it was a nice contest from the dude and they're actually doing really well with these platinum passes uh, the money little moneymaker tour is doing well and giving away uh, these thirty thousand dollar passes all over the country so yeah, every month they're popping up somewhere else yep. like in our magazine and stuff so they're really getting around the country and stuff so yeah good for them they're always so good to us i wish we can get them back yep someday someday we'll see <clears throat> you sounded like that commercial you know someday 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 monster trucks and poker stars <laughs> That's what he sounded like when he said that. You get the whole seat, but you'll only need the end. <laughs> oh, jeez. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, he does that all the time. Oh, man. No one laughs as much as you did, though. So that, I appreciate was it. that was good. <laughs> all right. Finally, a Twitter war erupted last week during the World Series of Poker Circuit event at Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas when Justin Lapp. Late registered event number five and sat down with 5,000 too many chips in his stack. While the error wasn't Lapka's, he was steadfast at the table that he didn't have to give the chips back. Sean Daniels didn't like that one bit, Chris, and took to Twitter, and at least one other player chimed in as well. Eventually, Lapka issued an apology, apology admitting that he was, in, quote, inherently wrong to not give the chip back as soon as he noticed it. This is kind of bizarre, isn't it? 
I mean, you know, I think this gets at the psyche. Uh, I don't want to say poker players. I'm not lumping everybody in, but there, there's an element of poker players that are always, obviously, looking for an edge, right? Yeah, and are able to um, rationalize edges that n- non-poker players would be horrified at, right? And I think that's probably what happened here. I mean, I, I can't put myself in the mind of Justin Lapka if you know, I sat down and someone said. Hey, the dealer had been giving away a five thousand chip, a five thousand chip, extra five thousand dollar chip to a couple of players in the past. You have one of them. You need to give back. I would be, I would throw it in in a minute, right? right. Not even a minute, a second. So it's hard for me to put myself on that frame of mind, but um, so it's certainly not justifying it. I'm just trying to explain it. I think, I think there is that that there is that little element of poker players that are looking for the edge, and I think you know if you read the article and you see how defiant. He was through this whole process. I'm like, all right, I get it. I mean, I don't defend it, but I get it. And then eventually, you know, obviously he got shamed into admitting how inherently wrong he was. But really weird, though. It is weird. I I have to admit, I didn't read the article. I just saw the write-up you had, and I thought that was going to be plenty enough. But I have to ask the question as I didn't read it. So, like, did people call the floor over and say, hey, look, he's got a chip he shouldn't have? And That's a very fascinating question. I don't think it was answered in the article I read. I might might have been answered somewhere else because you know i I mean i I guess yeah you're you're asking really good questions if there's a discussion at the table uh that a player has an extra five thousand where is the dealer in this conversation right yes and where is the four and i would think the dealer would be like wait a minute what's going on why do you think he has an extra five thousand and it sounds like there were a couple other players that did maybe not this table but there must have been some kind of mix-up problem yeah um, with the chip stacks at some point, and you know it was fixed before. And now he was late registered, and he got the same mistake. Um, but yeah, I would think you know the dealer's not supposed to in- interject themselves in hands, but the, you know in between the hand, I would say, oh, hold on, you know, count down your chips. All right, you clearly have five thousand more than you should. That's a mistake. I'm not going to take it from you. If you don't want to give it back to me, that's fine. But we'll have the floor come over, and yeah. would have, and it would all been done. So. So I wonder, you know, again, I, I don't want to go too far down this road without knowing how everything transpired. But part of me wonders whether this is the new call the manager Twitter thing that's going on in the world now where people can't call the manager over anymore. When there's a hair in their soup, they got to immediately go on Twitter and go, oh, my God, I almost died. <laughs> um, yeah, so I wonder if that was part of it, too, you know, because the, the poker players are like that now. You know, they, they settle their scores on Twitter rather than – the old-fashioned gentlemanly way. So maybe it's possible that they didn't, that they felt that it would be better to go to Twitter to solve this than to simply call the floor, uh, which, which seems to me would be the much easier and the more rational way of dealing with it. But Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, it, it, it's as if somebody just wants to get more followers on there and, you know, I'm going to take this opportunity to, I don't care if you've actually got the 5,000 chips, but let's just put it out there on the, in a Twitterverse and, and get a bunch of people riled up and get some more followers out of this. And, you know, we're talking about him on a show when you could have just easily called the floor over and none of this would have happened. We wouldn't even be talking about it on the show. Right. Well, I, and I think it's interesting you mentioned that because it, it actually makes both people look bad, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, not, what, what's yeah. that rule? It's the one of the rules you, when you walk into a poker room is that you need to point out things that are unfair so that everyone is being treated fairly. It's your responsibility to point out mistakes or problems. It's I remember it was at the bow, the big on a big brass yeah. plaque on the wall and at the bow. 
So, I mean, really, seriously, how do you not just say, hey, wait a minute, I'm sorry, let's stop play, or hey, four, go over to that table, that guy doesn't have what he's supposed to have, or, you know, and, and make it right for everyone. So, yeah, I think they both kind of look like egg on their face here on both these. So it's, that's, as soon as I read it, I'm like, well, how do you not call the floor and just fix this? Yeah, some things just seem really easy, right? <laughs> and it's a circuit event. It's not like it's some random daily right. $35, yeah. you know, turbo. Tournament in some locals' room where everybody there is named Bobo except for you. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is, you know what, too? I mean, go back to the videotape and find out who the hell gave away these chips when they weren't supposed well, yeah. to. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think that if a floor was called here, this is not a uh, trivial decision, right? This is a, oh my gosh, this is a circuit event, and somebody's got 5,000 more than they should. You know, we need to figure out how to get to the bottom of this. And um, and again, it sounded like, again, the, the article is not as robust as I would like, but um, it did sound like other people had the same issues. So um, at, at that point, I, I think Floor knew about it some way, right? May not have known about this particular part of it, but knew about it somewhere else. So uh, a lot more questions than answers now. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, maybe the other people have uh, other information that they can share with us, so yeah, that'd be cool. figure out more stuff. Uh, any updates? Dave Scott, don't you just love hearing from our fans? I do. I'd like I, to hear from more often. Me too. So if you have a hand of the week or a listener spotlight or call the floor submission, email us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or post in the Antiup Fans group on Facebook. So speaking of that, you can join there and just post within the group uh, to get feedback on hands or call the floor questions or just discuss anything poker. Uh, you know who's really active in there is Chicago Joe. Yes, yeah. always posting good. Always stuff posting in there. great stories and stuff, and uh, commenting on things, and just really good to have him in there. So go to Facebook and search for Annie Up Fans and join our group. And then once you get there, you'll find there's a new discount code for our new T Public store that's good through December third. So that's an incentive to go to Facebook to figure out. Get the link and get the code. Yeah, and, and people are busting their chops about who named that code. I bet you it was Scott. And I'm like, no, nah, Scott, it would have been like PBR rules, you know, or a, I don't know, something. It would have been something funnier than Holiday Cool. Well, they act like I say something cool a lot, like that's, you know, <laughs> old school or something. When, I, when do I ever say that? When do I ever, like, argue for it? I don't, I don't get it. I don't know, but in about two seconds, I'm going to say something Crazy. cool. So Crazy. here it comes. <laughs> Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcastmagazine.com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, it's like we do with Call the Forward Hand of the Week. We send them something cool. There's nothing wrong with saying something cool. <laughs> yeah, if you're Fonzie. <laughs> you know, those are the 50s. All right, this comes from Adam B. He says, uh, I'm playing tomorrow at a tournament at MGM Springfield, which really he's not. It was sent to us last week, but... Uh, I should find our next show when we have a hand from this tournament. So. <laughs> uh, it, that um, new location up there just started tournaments, so he said that this is a hundred dollar buy-in that gets you ten thousand chips. Fifteen thousand if you're Justin. <laughs> One option they offer uh, that I have never seen is a ten dollar dealer add-on for an additional five thousand chips. I'm guessing that this means you can buy these extra chips once you take your seat. So that's interesting. I mean, I, I've. Never heard of a player who didn't know about or have heard of that before, yeah. right? An add-on. It's 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 always their way of getting money to. the to Well, Adam's getting back in the poker, right? You know what I mean? He took the, he took that long break, and now he's getting back in. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, but we talk about it on the show all the time. Dealer add-ons. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so he said, "I'm guessing that means that." So for such a low price, why wouldn't you take this add-on? Is there realistically a time where you wouldn't want to increase your stack by fifty percent for an additional ten percent added to your buy-in? 
I wrote him back, and I was like, yeah, you, you have to take it. Yes. I mean, you're, first of all, you're giving the, basically the entire field a 50% edge on you. Two, like he said, he broke it down in numbers. For 10% more, you're getting 50% more. Yep. Um, and you're also tipping the dealers, basically, because it's not just an add-on. It's not just, hey, why don't you buy in for 110 to get 15000 No, you're still buying in for 100 but then you're basically tipping the dealers 10 bucks because they're probably – a lot of times that happens in those in a lot of rooms that are just starting with tournaments and they play, people don't know to tip the dealers at the end or they're just cheapskates who don't like tipping their wages as a dollar when they get their water. <laughs> who would do that? I don't know, especially in New England. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that, uh, you would be, it'd be a huge mistake and it's, it's not the, you know, it's not the property getting extra money. So it's not like they're trying to just nickel and dime you for more money. This is literally going to the dealers and you're increasing your stack 50% and you're going to be in a hole if you don't do it to the rest of the field, cause they're all going to do it. So absolutely do it. Yeah, and what I'll tell Adam on top of that is you don't normally get this good of a deal. Um, I mean, this, as he said, it's this is ridiculous. I've seen people pass up this that are just cheap and think the, the room is taking too much from them already and are willing to give up that extra, as he said, 50% advantage um, because it's an extra $10. But generally, Adam, what you're going to find is – the add-on would be different. It might be ten dollars for an extra thousand, or an extra two thousand, or something like that. Right. And they make some sort of a bargain, but it's never this good. Right. So it's a little bit. Sometimes there's a question mark. So when he says, "Is realistically a time you wouldn't want to increase your stack by fifty percent for an additional ten percent?" More often, the question is going to be, "Do you want to increase your stack by ten percent for an extra twenty percent or ten percent?" Um, so the numbers, you know, you do have to run the numbers and see whether you, you think it's worth it or not. So. Not all the not all the add-ons are anywhere near as generous as this, but but from an operator standpoint, I like this. I mean, we do this on the cruise for our main event. We you double your stack with the dealer add-on. So again, it's impossible. Yeah. You would think it's impossible to pass that up. We've had a couple of people do it, but um, but the reason is that we, we we want the dealers to be taken care of. Um, so you know, we could you could do anything. You know, we start with three thousand units and we give you another three thousand on the on the cruise. We could start with five thousand, give you an extra thousand. But then the incentive to do it for the dealer just goes down because yeah. the deal is good, right? So, um, so it all depends on how the operator wants to do it. If they just want to offer a deal add-on, if you take it, that's great. If not, no big deal. You're, that room's probably not going to give you the same incentive as MGM is here. But obviously, MGM is taking the line that they really want you to take care of the dealers. So they're going to make it really too good to be true. So I, I do recall once someone passing on a really, really cheap, dealer add-on in a rebuy tournament and then re oh, yes. and, and then you know rebuying later for you know the same amount of chips but for, yeah. for 10 times the amount of money it was some weird thing and i was like do you see what that guy just did and they're like laughing but yeah so they didn't do the add-on but then they you know i guess they wanted to make sure they could buy back in later if they busted out or something but it was just hilarious that i thought you're gonna double your stack right now for 10 bucks and instead you're gonna rebuy for 50 and get that same size stack later, you know, just, uh, well, and sometimes people have a philosophical opposition to paying the dealers, you know, because they, they feel like they're going to get tipped at the end. Um, so it could be that that guy just, you know, math be damned. <laughs> didn't care about that. He was just, you know, Hey, I don't want the money to go to the dealers. I want the money to go to the prize pool. I'm like, all right, I guess. <laughs> the hard part is that, you know, you're, you're leaving it up to like four or five players in most of these size tournaments, to cover the entire field's tips worth 
if you don't have this add-on. You know what I mean? And you have to hope that all four of them are going to be understanding and cool and tip the right amount or at least a respectable amount to try to cover it. So this way, you don't have to, you know, rely on that. And if they anything over that, that's gravy. But if they don't tip, hey, you know the dealer still got something out of their four or five hours of work in that, that quick little tournament or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, it's just brutal that they that they rely on those final five cashers or whatever to, to cover everyone who's played for a tip. So... Well, the yeah, add-on's a great deal. Is, once they've done these dealer add-ons now, the <clears throat> player's less likely to tip at the end because they feel like they've already tipped them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's an interesting di- dilemma. Uh, you know, we've talked about this for years on the show. You know, how do you figure out how much to tip and based on the add-ons and whether there anything is removed from the prize pool for the staff or both in some cases. Um, so there's a lot, a, lot of, a lot of stuff to work out on. But the reason there are add-ons now is because people quit tipping as yep, much as yep. room one. So. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. And you know, I don't even read it anymore. I just say it. I've had it committed to memory for like, I don't know, two years now. <laughs> I don't even read that <laughs> off there anymore. This comes from Dennis M. And uh, it's not that I'm not saying can't pronounce his last name i just don't know if i should so <laughs> we are playing our home game and i'm in the small blind it folds around to me and i look down at deuce seven offsuit and since we play a deuce seven bonus in our game i go into the tank on how to play it before i act the big blind mucks his cards face down to the center of the table i tabled my hand face up the dealer held up the hand and claimed that since i hadn't called the big blind and he folded out of turn the big blind should be able to retrieve his cards. After the table debate, the majority decides to agree with the dealer, and the big blind's cards are returned to him. With the action apparently on me now, I call, believing that since he does not change the action, the big blind's fold... Oh, this, this does not change the action. The big blind's fold would have to be enforced. Again, the table debated, and majority decided to give the big blind the option of checking. How should an out-of-turn muck be handled in a situation like this? All right, Elliot says an out-of-turn fold is a fold in cash games and tournaments. This would have left your hand as the only live hand left and the winner of the pot and a bonus. In some casinos, if a big blind folds in an unraised pot, they may have their hand returned. This policy almost always applies only to the smallest game spread in the casino and virtually never to tournaments. I do appreciate the fact that democracy rules without hard feelings in your game. The voting power needs to be used a little uh, a little more sparingly, however. Please download a copy of the latest TDA rules or Robert's Rules of Poker and try to at least use and apply the rules that are least subjective and most absolute. For example, a fold out of turn is always a fold. When it comes to discretionary situations, you could continue to use a democratic method of solving problems that your game group has already adopted. This way, no one feels that one player's interpretation could steamroll the group and self-interest can't become a factor in any subjective decision. All right, I'm going to disagree with Elliot. It might be the first time ever. Wow. Then I'm just going to stand back. <laughs> um, and I'm not going to disagree with his his whole explanation, which I do agree. What, what I argued with Dennis, and I'm curious if Elliot's listening and, and wants to get back to us on this, is that Dennis is the one that introduced the word muck to this discussion, right? Mm-hmm. He says, I'll, I'll go back. He says, before I act, the big blind mucks his cards face down to the center of the table. He could have easily said the big blind tosses his cards face down at the center of the table. But by saying muck, right? Right. 
he's implying that the big blind mucked. Now, certainly it sounds to me like the big blind intended to muck, but there's no discussion here that the cards actually went in the muck. The cards were retrievable, um, and uh, big blind obviously made a mistake in not paying attention to the action, and there is risk there, so I'm not suggesting that he gets rewarded for that. But if his cards have not been mucked yet, the dealer has not collected them, and then he realizes the mistake... I don't have a problem with him grabbing his cards back. Am I wrong with that? No, nah, it's just the word muck. I mean, usually in the center of the table is where the muck is, and if it's touching the muck, then it's dead. If it's not, yeah, then I, don't, I, I think I agree with you there. I think that the guy puts his cards face down and forward in front of him, and it's not his turn. How do you know he mucked? You know what I mean? As yeah, I suppose some people would say there's a forward motion which would indicate that he intended to muck. Clearly, <laughs> I would from the discussion here, I'm sure he intended to muck, but... You know, again, it sounds like, I mean, this is kind of a technicality win, isn't it, in a way? Uh-huh. Absolutely. Not only that, but it wasn't his turn to act. So how do you know how he threw the cards out? You weren't, you know what I mean? Just because you saw what he did over there, still, he didn't act yet. It's not his turn to act. So by rule, he really didn't muck yet, unless he threw him in muck. You know what I mean? If they're right. face down forward and they're a, a foot away from him, you don't even know if he, just uh, theoretically, not Obviously, you could have watched him do this, but theoretically, the cards could have been dealt to that spot, and he hasn't gotten them yet. You know, I'm not saying that's what happened here, and I know clearly everyone saw him fold the cards or keep the cards face down in front of him or something. But he didn't say fold. It wasn't his turn to act. You know what I mean? It wasn't his turn yet. Now, Elliot is right in saying that any a folded hand is always a folded hand. But in this case, how do you know he folded? It's not his turn to act yet. He may have just looked at his cards and went, ugh. Or he may have put his hand on him and stretched and pushed him forward while he was waiting for his turn. You know what I mean? If I if I'm protecting my cards and my hands are on my cards, and I'm I'm like waiting for my turn to act, and then I'm like I want to stretch in my chair, so I put my hands out in front of me on the felt, and I had the cards under him, and I'm just stretching, and then I left my hands off and I put my hands back. I didn't just fold. It's not even my turn to act yet. You don't know what I'm gonna do yet. So to me, I agree with you. I think that there's there's an opportunity here for us to to say, okay, wait a minute. Was it his turn? No. Okay, so he didn't really act yet. So his cards are sitting there. As long as they're not touching the muck, he didn't act on that yet. He didn't say or show or indicate that he's done anything yet. So, I mean, clearly they discussed it later, and it was pretty obvious that's what he did. But if those cards aren't touching the muck and it's not his turn to act yet, he has a chance to grab those cards and retrieve them, I think. I uh, think so. Yeah. Uh-oh. Now, I would say I don't think this is the case in Dennis's home game because Dennis's home game sounds like these people have thought this through and have they take votes and they they you know uh, respect the will of the uh, majority here. So I think this is a game where people are never going to get really upset. Uh, now, I agree with Elliot that you know you should try to use the rules the way they're written and then only use this voting thing if you don't need to. But um, if you are in a home game where you you don't have this kind of camaraderie or agreement to vote on things like this. I think this is a situation where you imperil the future of the game um, by doing the right thing, but in the wrong way. Right. Yeah. You know, you could make an argument as Elliot says, and Dennis has this guy meant to muck and therefore you have the last hand standing. So you give me a word of the pot. Um, when I think really going back to, I, I think it's a winning on a technicality, you know, if this happened to me in the way that I'm imagining it, and I wasn't there, right, um, in our home game, I don't think I would ever – let's say you were in the big blind and you did that. I would never force you to fold at that point. 
I would say, hey, uh, dude, I still got cards. And you'd be like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry, I didn't see them. And then your cards were in the mock, you grabbed them. That, that's the way I would want the hand to play out, I right. think. Um, one, just because that's the way I think it is. But two, for the, the integrity of keeping the home game going. Because um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know we're in home games that have broken up. And not because they just lost interest, because there was one stupid thing that happened and everybody got angry and left, right? Yeah, <laughs> Never went yeah. to buy I mean, so I, that's what I would be worried in, in most home games that if you did a hard, hard line on the stance that that player may say, well, forget it. I don't need to play here. I'll go somewhere else. And then maybe somebody else would be like, yeah, I think that was a Deutsche Bank move. So I don't need to play here either. And now your whole home game collapsed over, a, you know, a real thin technicality. So, yeah. And in this case, too, it seems like uh, Deutsche Bankery a little bit. In, in the sense that, okay, well, it looks like this guy folded. I'm showing my deuce seven here. And then they're like, oh, wait, that guy can still play his hand. Well, now we know the deuce seven is shown. This guy clearly mucked his hand or fold, you know, threw his cards kind of in a forward. We don't, so it's just like, hey, when it gets to that point, just be like, all right, guys, look, we both kind of screwed up here. You didn't really know whether or not he folded, so you showed your deuce seven. You really shouldn't have showed your deuce seven because it wasn't, you know, a person behind you that may or may not have acted. Or, I mean, it just, let it go. It's supposed to be a friendly home game. You know what I mean? Just let it go. Just say, okay, whatever. Don't don't play the big blind and don't show the do seven anymore. You know, or whatever. I mean, don't fold out of turn. You know, just this is why we try to have our home game be treated like if you were in a casino, you wouldn't do these things. You know what I mean? You'd you'd act properly. So do that in a home game, but still be friendly. You know? I don't know. Yeah. Hey, we got a new O'Malley's move. Here it comes. Welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This is our last episode playing $2, $3, No Limit Hold'em at Harvey's in Lake Tahoe. At this point, we've built our stack up to $500 from $300 and currently sit under the gun. We look down at the Queen of Hearts, Queen of Clubs. Perfect. We raise to our standard under the gun total of $20. We get four callers, including the button. This guy has already burned through two $200 buy-ins and is currently on his third. He started the hand with around 195. He's pleasant enough, but is a very weak poker player. There's already more than $100 in the pot, and the flop brings mixed emotions. We see a queen in the door, but it comes down the ace of diamonds, king of clubs, queen of spades. But still, we're only losing to aces, kings, and jack ten, so we're going to lead out for $75. Everyone folds, except the button, who calls, leaving him just under 100 the pot is around 250, and the turn is the five of spades. The button quickly shoves out of turn. After the dealer informs him the action is on me, I have a decision to make here. He only has 100. What's the move? All right, sign with the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your very cool hands or situations to podcast at antfmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one. Poker training side. Vic G is back in the house, Chris. Yeah, Vic G. All right. Uh, he says, I was playing in a 1-2 No Limit Hold'em game at my local Florida card room in the weeks just after Hurricane Michael devastated the area. Uh-huh. And uh, by the way, it's 
that area is still devastated. We had some of our uh, our cruise passengers live up there. I'm still reading horrifying things of uh, people living in tents and stuff, and yeah, shelters not open, and yeah. that's disgusting. Um, but uh, back to our hand of the week, uh, Vic says, why is this relevant? He says, two reasons. One, due to local curfew laws, the poker room has limited hours and closes at 11 p.m. daily until the curfew was lifted. This means that players who were stuck are looking to gamble it up in the last few hours. Two, tree removal companies from outside the state are finding plenty of work in the area, and these employees have extra cash in their pockets and nothing to spend it on the evenings. They've come to play poker. All right, so this is what I like about Vicky. He sizes up the situation uh, beyond the felt, right? Yeah. All right, he says, I've been playing all day, and we're in the final hour of play before the room has to close for the day. We're playing relatively shorthanded with seven players. I'm a, I'm a regular and only recognize one other player at my table. Several are tree removal guys, specifically the guy on my right. He's been entering most pots for a raise and likes just about any two cards, especially deuces and sixes, which he's made a point of tabling whenever he drags a pot. His stack had gone through some wild swings, but when this hand begins, we're about even with $700. Okay. We're in the big blind this hand, and three players limp for $2 before our protagonist in the small blind makes it 22 to go. He, uh, he says he's been tossing in three or four red birds as raises, so this is his quote-unquote normal raise. Uh, about half the table has gambled it up with him in previous pots, while the other half is ABC players waiting to trap him. We've also observed that he'll go all in on the river when he has the nuts, regardless of his bet relative to the pot. He also loves to chase and has flop middle or bottom pair in recent hands, only to hit his kicker in the river to take down bloated pots. I'll also call you down with second or third pair if your river bet is reasonable. Wow, it's too bad if Vic doesn't know anything about this guy, right? <laughs> it's like he's married to him. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, man. Uh, I can't believe you didn't tell us what he was wearing, too. Like, I feel like um, he left out some details. Here. Well, you're not done yet. He may tell us later that the hoodie he was wearing gave away the, the strength of his hand. Who knows? All right, with $30 in the pot and facing a $20 race in the small blind, we look down at the ace of hearts, jack of hearts, and the big blind. Well, this is interesting because, um, one, you want to get the other guys out. Um, and you want to just have this guy all to yourself. Um, but it's a pretty good hand, and you already have position on him, so you might just want to call. Um, I don't think I'm folding here. I feel like this guy is really loose and... The the problem with the call though is that this guy, we might get other people to come along for a call, knowing how this guy plays. And he now, now that they know he's in the hand, yeah, you know they live to see if he's going to be in the hand, and then they'll play the hand with him. So, right. uh, I want to I want to sort of uh, three bet this guy and say, you know, I want to get you all alone. And if not, then I take down like twenty something dollars for for an ace jack. You know what I mean? That I was fortunate to get in the blind. So, uh, and if not, if we go forward with just him in the hand, then we're we like our our playing ability against him. So uh, I don't think I'm just going to call, though. I'm probably going to make it like, what do you make it, 22, 20, something like that you said? So um, I don't know. I'd probably make it like 50 or 60 and just see if he comes along. And now we've got position on him with a really decent ace for this situation. He's in a small blind. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise like 50, 60, something like that. All right. Uh, first of all, I'm going to correct the. He had a mistake. He said uh, we are facing a twenty dollars raise in the small blind. The um, the other guy was in the small blind. We are in the big blind, as we said earlier in the hand. So I think people probably figured that out. But facing uh, a raise not. from the small blind or in the small blind? Yeah. The the our our villain is in the small blind. We are in the big blind with right. these hearts. Right. Right. So, okay. Um. All right. So I I like your line of thinking that we want want this guy to ourselves so we get his stack and not have to share with anyone else. Um. So I don't necessarily oppose to the raise, 
Uh, particularly because we're in position against this guy too. Right. Um, so that that's helpful, right? Um, but I'm curious. I, I think you made a very good point that because uh, I've been in games like this, right? And I know exactly what Vic's saying. You got these ABC players that are just sitting here. I know this guy's going to raise 22 every time. I'm just going to wait for my good hand, and then I'm going to trap him, right? right. Um, I, I wonder if the value move is to call here knowing that probably most, if not all, these limpers are going to come along for the extra 22. Now we're looking at a pot of 100 with a hand that has a lot of potential in a lot of different ways than it is to raise here and then get him by ourselves, and then um, our value comes from his stack rather than four stacks. I don't. I don't necessarily agree with that. Just just based on the fact that you're increasing the amount of cards you're fighting to get that guy's stack, you know. Because now it'd be one thing if you're facing two random cards from this guy, and you have a pretty powerful ace. It's another to now have everyone's other. You say it's ten, so you make it a hundred, so that's a ten-way pot. So that means there's six other cards now you're going up against, and you know the little thing I do in the poker one-on-one class we used to teach is I always take their two aces and I'll deal out eighteen other cards, and right. then I'll put out a flop, and there's no way the aces win. They just don't. So in this case, I would really rather. I know this guy's going to come along. I don't want the other ones to come along. So if I make it fifty. I'm going to get most of that money that I would have gotten from the other guys by limping from this one player if he calls. And then I'm going to get it all from him later if I can outplay him. So I don't know if I want more people outplaying this guy with me if I can isolate him now and get his whole stack. I, I just I see what you're saying because it's a juicy hand and it's pretty formidable. But uh, you're, you're racing eight cards now instead of two, you know, basically to the flop. And then when that flop comes, if it's a terrible flop you have ace jack and you still can beat this guy out of the hand but if it's a flop that's all over the place and you've got six other cards in there besides his two you're you're facing other people that want and the other thing too is it's not necessarily that this guy was a maniac and raised every time that's why they're limping you know what i mean so they could just see if he's going to be in the pot and then if he raises or whatever they're glad they got to be in a hand with this guy it's not that he was a maniac and played every hand for a raise so I don't think that's the thinking behind the other limps. They could just be limping because they have a suited ace. It could be the well, they, they could be limping with aces or kings or something like that. I right, mean, but hoping this guy would raise. This guy doesn't raise all the time. He just plays crappy right. hands and goes all in on the river and has a nuts. So I don't see that as a as a effective way of playing against this guy. He's limping and hoping he raises. Um, we know if you have a big hand. So oh, I, I feel like we need exactly to isolate this how guy. ABC players would play against this guy. <clears throat> No, because they don't know he's going to raise, so they're going to they're going to get right. five or six players in the hand. Going to raise, so I mean, normally you would think a limped hand is a weaker hand, right? But in this kind of game, the these uh, three limpers for the two dollars, we, we have to give them at least at least give credit to the possibility that they are are, are sitting on big hands, knowing that this other guy is going to raise, so either they can re-raise. Or just call and then trap them later on. Well, now, I'm not worried about that. I'm just making a point that there's more likely that these limps are stronger than they would be normally. So um, that doesn't change the the discussion we're having here because if we raise and somebody's sitting on aces, they're going to re-raise, and then then we figure out from there, right? Right. Um, versus if we call, then we we don't know about their hand until the flop, right? Because we're not giving them the opportunity to re-raise now. Well, now should we do? Yeah. Hope still be able to re-raise. So, either way, we're going to get that answer. Um, it's just a matter of 
here's the other thing I would, I would argue too about the call, and I, I think there are, I think this is a fifty-fifty decision. My myself, I think I could defend either equally, and it just depends on how the hand plays out. But to your point, getting heads up with them, I think you could still do that on the flop because of the positioning of the table, right? So well, let's say we we just call here. The Vestal the Limpers call as well, too, theoretically, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the flop comes. We're going to assume that our small blind uh, guy is going to bet out there, right? At that point, now we can raise there, and unless that flop really hits somebody else, we can drive them out at that point. But we've picked up the extra 80 or extra 60 whatever from them. Um, 56. Okay, I'm going to be on record as saying that it's probably the worst thing you've ever said on our show. Awesome! <laughs> well, I'm just going to leave it there for you and let everyone else digest what you just said. Um, okay, so here's what I think. I think we need to we need to raise... Another reason is because if we just limp and everyone else limps... Or not limp, but we just call his raise and everyone else just calls his raise, now we're out of position to these people. And you're saying, okay, it's guaranteed that no matter what flop comes this guy's going to bet and we're going to be able to raise him no matter what came on the flop and get the other people out. I'm not suggesting whatever comes on the flop we could raise. I'm suggesting that we we're we're in a good spot here because we can cut off the other players by re-raising him so they have to face two bets cold. If we have a hand at that point. Unless they hit it hard. Yeah, and we don't know that until we re-raise it. That's just a, oh, that's just a so many uh, if-then. I feel like I'm in a computer programming 101 you know all these if than freaking commands so i'm just gonna say right here uh we need to raise this guy again and get isolate him that, that's all i'm gonna say now i, I ah. there's just no way for me plus we're gonna be out of position the rest of the hand if other people came along and we don't want that we want this guy isolated and we want to be able to control the action and if we just call his raise we can't do that so that's what i want to do <laughs> You can do what you want to do. Let's let's you do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do, and we'll see what happens at the well, end. Well, so in a normal hand, I would fold this. So I mean, that's the other thing we haven't even talk, talked about. But uh, I'm not going to fold here. You're not going to fold here. So there's probably not much reason to talk about. But in a normal hand, I, my ace jack does not look good here. I don't think. But. Yeah. Well, you're playing against a, a very inferior player who showed down second and third, you know, pairs at the end, and right, which horrible. makes it very hard to to win with ace high if I don't improve with his hand. Yeah, but I think we might be able to just take the hand down, too, with a raise and then just move on. If not, you've got position on one guy who plays terribly with a suited ace jack. That's a pretty decent hand in the blinds. You know, it's not like you got a raise from the, the button who's an aggressive player and you're scared. It's a guy who cuts down trees for a living and is just burning off money left and right here, and you have ace jack suited against him. You know, I, I would think that you'd want to be in that position with ace jack and call or re-raise. I, I just, to me, I wouldn't fold this hand. I, I don't think ever. Well, I wouldn't either. I was, I was just making a point, make point that the situation's different here, but in a normal game. Nor, yeah, normal game where I'm facing, like, if I got Brent on my right and he raised, right. I'm probably letting that go. Exactly. I'm saying. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> well, this is good. We're finally talking about something the longest poker related. <laughs> that guy in Dennis's game has already picked his cards back up on the big block. <laughs> All right, uh, here we go. Uh, Vic says, yes, a case can be made for folding. Look at that. Uh, but he said it would be criminal to a player like uh, uh, criminal to allow a player like this to leave the table with any chips in his possession. And look it's at just that. Wrong. There you go. There you look at that. It would be criminal. But at least it was in the discussion there. All so. right, good. All right. Uh, he says plus we're in the last hour of play, so opening ranges have widened in this game. We should be well ahead of this maniac's range. 
the call may <coughs> call may entice some of the other gamblers to come along. We don't want to see a multi-way flop out of position. Okay, hey, fine. Hey, so do share brains. Look at that. Uh, so we decided to raise to get heads up with the villain, and since he's in the small blind, we'll have position on him for the rest of the hand. We raise fifty dollars to make it seventy-two to go. Hey, look at that! And uh, look at this. It folds around the small blind and announces twelve. <laughs> so, all right, fine. Hey, look at that! <laughs> Here's the thing, though: we'll never know whether my play was better or not because we don't know what the other players had now. So, good job, Vic and Chris, for ruining his uh... hand. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, all right, so it falls around the small blind who announces call. The dealer says it'll be $50 more. The villain then slowly counts out an additional $30 and puts it in the pot. Handling chips is new to him, and the dealer has to constantly restack his bets and correct his action. She tells him that he needs four more red chips to call, and he complies. Uh, with 150 in the pot, the flop comes ace of diamonds, nine of hearts, five of spades. That's cool. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I forgot that we're not first act. Uh, Vic says, nice. We flopped top pair with a good kicker. I think if our villain had a big pocket pair or a big ace, he would have four-bet pre-flop. Since he's been seen playing any two cards, uh, he could only be ahead with ace-five or nine-five or five-five. I think he would uh, consider ace-nine a big ace and nine-nine a big pair would have four-bet. He's first to act and slowly taps the table. Action is on us. And Vic says he's uh, been shown to continue with any pair. What's our move? Well, really nothing scares us other than that one line where he said he could play any two cards. So, I mean, he could have something crazy. Um, but that shouldn't scare us, right? But that shouldn't really scare us. Cards, we know there's going to be three cards in the flops. You can't let yourself get too worried about that if that's the kind of way the guy plays. So Definitely betting here. Um, here's what I'm hoping is that he has uh, like an ace-10 or something. And we're just going to have them all kick the whole way. But uh, I guess in this case, well, how much is in the pot? So we bet 72. He said 100, it's like 140 in the pot, right? 150, yeah. he said. About 150. A little bit less than 150. Yeah. yeah. I'm six out of there. So less than 150 after the rake. So. I don't know. But, I would probably bet. I might just do a nice stack of red right there and make it 100 to go. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we we, we do want to overbet the pots against this guy, right? So Right. We think he's going to call bet, anything. So. Yeah. So. <clears throat> All right. Um, Vic says, we're betting here. If he's got a small ace, then we've got him out kicked. Uh, but for him, even an ace is unlikely. He may just come along to see the turn with any two cards. We want to build a pot and decide to make the same $50 bet. Yes. After sliding it out, I second-guess myself, thinking that's too small. We could have gotten more money at him on the street. All right. So now it's Chris and, Chris and Scott against Vic. I like how... <laughs> the table has turned, my friend. It's on Survivor. <laughs> <clears throat> Uh, he says uh, maybe $80 would have been a better bet. Uh, again, he slowly counts out the call, only to have the dealer restack it before pulling our bets into the pot. So at least we didn't lose them. With 250 in the pot, uh, the turn is uh, the king of spades. So our board now is ace of diamonds, nine of hearts, five of spades, king of spades. And this brings back to our Broadway and flush draws, but should not change much. The villain checks, and now it's on us again. Okay, well, this starts to feel like a draw to me. It doesn't feel... I mean, I, again, I, Vic really has uh, this guy in his sights as far as, you know, how he plays, and he's got him... He's reading him really well, so he'll know better than me, but to the fact that it feels like it's a draw, and now draws are kind of getting stronger with this king, I really feel like I should be happy with just taking this pot down. We made a raise, we got it. We made a bet, we got it. 
But this guy has shown a penchant for, you know, wanting the call, and I agree, we should we should try to get more money out of him. But at the same time, I wouldn't be terribly disappointed if I bet a solid bet here and then the guy folds. I wouldn't be terribly disappointed because I got more time with him. I can keep playing hands with him. I don't have to right. get his whole stack on this one hand. It's just like you can't win a tournament on one. Well, it was the last hour, so you only have a limited time. Yeah, but I still have that time. I mean, it's not like, okay, I'm going to go home after this. Plus, if you break him on this, you know what I mean? He might not rebuy again. I don't know. Maybe he will. Uh, but I just feel like, uh, I don't know. I'm going to make a bet here that that is this maybe a little bigger than half the pot. And if he calls, he calls. And if he doesn't, I've won a pretty decent. I've won over a hundred in this one hand, you know, with Ace Jack out of position to the rest of the table. I got lucky that I got heads up with him and no one called. But I don't know. I'm gonna make it like one. I don't know. Two fifties in the pot. I'm gonna make it like one seventy, one sixty, something like that. I mean, yeah, I, I was willing to bet a hundred on the last street, and I'm trying to shut this down, so. I mean, I'm not going to shove in case this guy has some crazy hand. So, but I, I, I think he might call 160 or 170, and if he doesn't, I'm happy with the pot. And if he does, I'm hoping a blank comes on the river and whatever. But that's what I'm going to do. All right. Yeah, I think it's got to be at least 125. So um, it's a matter of how much more you want to go above that. So I'm not opposed with what you said. So somewhere in that range is fine with me. Yeah, I, mean, I want to make him pay if he hits some weird straight or or flush. Um, and if not, then, you know, half the pot doesn't seem like it's enough to get him to really pay for the price of hitting something on me on the end. So I feel like I need to make more than half the pot. Okay. Uh, Vic says he seems hesitant when he checks, like he's praying for me to check it back. I'm confident that we're still ahead here. Uh, I'm trying to put him solidly on a hand or range of hands is futile. It's time to make a big, uh, make a bigger bet, and this time we make it 125. Ah, so now it's Scott and Vig against Chris. <laughs> he says, yes, it's only half the pop, but recreational players like our lumberjack here only see the best size, and a stack of $35 chips looks big regardless of the pot. He quickly makes a call. So now is that $35 chips or $35 chips? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. That'd be a great game. With it. What if you yeah, got three dollars I guess I'm freezing at thirty-five because that's all I am. <laughs> all right, with five hundred dollars in the pot, the river is the three a tray of clubs, uh, completing board of ace of diamonds, nine of hearts, five of spades, king of spades, tray of clubs. Our villain looks nervous, and after a few seconds, he slowly taps the table. We both have about four fifty behind. What's the move? Yeah, you know what? I'm checking behind. This seems like a weak move, I think, but. I realize we both have I, we we have aces with a king jack nine hand and it's but it just seems like if he looks nervous he's not drawing anymore it's over the hand's over so what's he nervous about right right why is he nervous I mean there's, if you're gonna bluff somebody you might be nervous but it would be after you've made the bluff that you'd look nervous this guy's nervous without any pressure on him and then checks and slowly taps the table. You said that before, too. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but to me, I feel like, you know what? It's a $500 pot. This is a pretty big pot for aces. You know, you get a pair of aces, and you don't even have the best kicker. So I, I think I might just check behind. I know it sounds weak, but seriously, and, and not just because it's hand of the week, because Vic usually wins every hand of the week, so that's not the reason. <laughs> um, I just feel this is a weird hand, and... It, the nervous. The word nervous really has me here. Uh, why would he be nervous? 
you know, the hand's over. Either he's going to check and fold or he's going to check and call. But he's not. if he's not betting and he's nervous, then why is he nervous? So it's kind of weird to me. I, maybe well, he's hit I, two pair I, here or something. I don't know. I would know. say the only nervousness would come from him trying to figure out what size bet he's willing to call here. Yeah, I guess. You know, it could be, he could have a middling hand, and Vic has been betting, taking charge of his hand all the way, and now he wants to see the showdown. He wants to see the showdown, but um, he's not confident having to put his last 500 in this pot, right? So yeah, that's the only way I can see any kind of nervousness here. But it just oh, feels... You're just getting so jacked that you just, you know, you rivered a set or you rivered your two pair and you're just waiting for Vic to bet so he can um, re-raise. I mean, that, that it would look like nervous even though it's, you know, nervous excitement, right? Yeah. The other thing, too, is when you think back to the Tells books that you've read from Caro and stuff, they always say that people who are really nervous is when they make a really big hand. So, I mean, maybe this guy's made some sort of wheel or something and he's just that crazy, he had, you know. Maybe deuce four of spades or something bizarre. Um, so he picked up a huge turn card as well. I, I don't. I don't know. I just. I feel like I need to check. It's a big enough pot. I don't need to be greedy. I got another hour with this guy. You know what I mean? I, I feel like. I mean, really, I made two fifty off this guy. That's a lot of money for ace jack in a small, in a big blind versus a small blind hand. I, I'm not greedy here. I, I think I would just check behind. Then, you know. If the, if the guy turns over a hand that would have beat me, then it's brilliant. If he turns over a hand that I would have beaten and he would have called, then I'm stupid. But for the most part, you're probably going to bet and only get called by a better hand. I know he realized this guy calls the second and third pairs, but it, this is a lot of money in the middle for second or third pair. A lot of money. And he didn't shove on the river, which is what he's done in the past So with, with the nuts. So I don't know. This is a tough hand, but that nervous has me nervous. So I'm going to check behind. Yeah, I'm going to check behind here, too, and I'm sure we're going to lose value. But <laughs> it just seems like the smart play to buy. So. Okay. Uh, all right, so Vic says, uh, okay, so what does this guy have been calling us with pre-flop, on the flop, and on the turn? Does he have something like a pair of eights or sevens and simply holding on, uh, hoping that I whiffed? Maybe he's playing six, nine. We've seen him do this before. Did he make kings up on the turn? Well, I'd love to make another big better shove. Something smells fishy. I think I'm losing value. And after deciding the pot's big enough, I reluctantly check it oh, back. Oh, hey, look, we're all home. Holy cow. Uh, Vic says, this is such a weak play on my part that I don't know if I'll be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm temporarily confused when I hear the word straight, and I'm astonished to see my opponent table four deuce. <laughs> uh, there you go. I think you can sleep then. <laughs> I meekly slide my cards face down the muck and thankful that I dodged that bullet and wait on the next hand after losing a sizable pot. Uh, to slow played pocket kings from one of the silent players after flopping top pair. I find myself facing another $20 pre-flop raise from the villain on my right. I shove my reading 144 pocket nines and survive the king, queen, jack, seven tray board. My opponent tables 10-8. Yes, he'll play any two cards. Damn you, curfew. Why does this game have to end? <laughs> so he basically got his money back from that guy. Yeah. You know, base, not all of it, but some of it. Um, but yeah, wow, 2-4. Deuce four. How does that happen? Well, it goes back to I mean, we're talking about nervousness. Yeah, it was, it was a nervous excitement, right? Yeah, he nervous was hoping excitement. That we would we would bet, and we didn't give him the opportunity. I mean, it's it's a lesson every player needs to learn. You get up at your at your hand. Now, I, I don't know whether if he would have made any kind of decent bet here, whether Vic would have called, right? Since he was already a little bit worried about making a bet his own. So, 
maybe maybe our villain didn't lose any value by checking as well too but um uh interesting side note the uh so the other the i, I split a pot in that cash game session on thanksgiving right with uh-huh. that crazy guy um and i had trade deuce <laughs> the flop came with deuce nobody took any um interest in the hand so i bet out on the river and then I was called by the other player with four deuce. <laughs> <laughs> we played the board and we, should, we split it. Play the board and split it. That's hilarious. So, wow. So, go back and see four deuce. Well, he, he flopped a gut shot, you know. All right. He raised in the small blind with four deuce pre-flop. That's probably not a power play, yes. That's but. incredible. Yeah, I feel bad that the guy that they had a curfew that night. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that turn call was really rich on his part, though, for... Hey, he's calling all that on a gutter because he doesn't understand. That's what they do. They think they're invested too much now, and they're going to kill themselves later if they with the what ifs. So they'll just keep calling and then say, ah, you know, because that's the way I think poker is that you just see it to the end and hope you win. That's what most of them do. And that the weird thing was that he was out of character at the end there. He didn't shove like he always does when he has the nuts. Apparently, according to Vic's move uh, call. So I don't know. That was that was sick. Just sick. But he's glad he folded now. He's like, I won't be able to sleep with such a weak play. It was a weak play, but at the same time, the guy was nervous. You had, you were right. He had nervous energy about him, and it, something in the back of your mind said fold, or not fold, but check behind, and you were right. So you should be able to sleep soundly, my friend. <laughs> well, no, I, there's nobody sleeping either way, right? I mean, he, he, yeah. he sleep, sleep. he's able to sleep because he made the right call there, but he's not going to be able to sleep because he lost his massive pot to four dudes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Vic. It's all right. I'm I'm pretty sure you're way ahead in that game, so Yeah, yeah. <laughs> try to try to you know hang on to that when you're counting sheep. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you get the tape. Anti Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.